Well, welcome everyone to the 75th Fireside Chat Session. This is Oliver and Justin's gift to you. This has been um, 225 hours of questions and answers for you. So thank you again, Oliver and Justin. And Tom, we'll start today with Andres. Uh, your question, go ahead. All right, thank you. Hello, hello everybody. Hello, Tom. Hello. Uh, so um, I moved rec recently to my hometown. I moved back, and I have been having a lot more uh, interaction with my mother than usual. So um, she has been telling me how she feels that other people um, envy and negative thoughts affects her uh, i mean the envy and negative thoughts towards her affects my mother um her body and her energy so so to say um, um so see uh, this blocks her in several levels this blocks her uh, for example um her good luck as he said she says and Uh, for example, see finding a job. She says that this very same thing happens to other people so that she knows, but uh, she also says that this uh, uh, there are some people like, for example, my father and me, who this doesn't really affect to us or and other people in the world, of course. Um, throughout the years, she has been trying to to protect herself from this uh, through several methods and lately she has been uh, in communication with um, a person uh, who is very intuitive um, uh, so uh, that this person is able to remove the blocks from my mother with his mind uh, also this connects with something my mother my grandmother's beliefs Uh, my grandmother's believes that um, a person with a stronger blood can affect other people with weaker blood uh, just by looking at them. Uh, this is called in Spanish uh, mal de ojo, but I believe that this is called in English um, uh, evil eye. So I remember you uh, saying a lot that... Um, People can't really affect you with their minds unless they are really, really grown up. Um, and my question is, how much of this do you think is actually people affecting others with their minds? And how much do you think is belief? Um, for example, like um, because of this belief, people connect this Uh, like people connect bad thing, bad things happening in, in their lives. For example, uh, some somebody lose uh, loses their uh, their job, uh, so they automatically connect this to to this belief. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's some of both. Okay, um, indeed, you can be empathetic, which means you feel other people's feelings. And it's true that intent modifies future probability. So if someone has a negative intent towards you, then it will affect your prob you know, your, the, the uh, probability of your future in negative ways. If you have a negative attitude toward uh, yourself, it will affect your probabilities. Uh, if you have negative attitudes toward other people, it'll affect them. So it's just the way it is among Uh, we individuated units of consciousness. We can't affect each other with, with our minds. Now, most people, that effect is pretty minor because their minds are not well-focused, they're, they're noisy, uh, they're, they're not very clear, they don't really understand what they're doing or how they're doing it or why they're doing it. It's just something that kind of happens to them. So for the most part, it, it uh, isn't that significant. And because you have a bigger effect on you than other people have on you. Okay, so if you're positive, 
if you feel real positive and these things don't worry you and they're not part of your fear, then mostly those things just don't bother you. And if you do worry about that and you believe that somebody's giving you the evil eye or somebody else is doing other things, you know, there's, you know, some of that going on, then indeed just your own fear will tend to create the negative things all by itself. Or, and if they are actually doing, if there is somebody doing that, then it'll add to what that other person's doing to make the effect even stronger. So all those things are, are so. Now, somebody who practices, but let's say they have a generally a low quality of consciousness, but they practice a lot on doing this, they can get to be where they have a, a pretty significant influence. They'll never get really powerful because their own low quality of consciousness keeps them from getting really powerful. But among other people who have no focus at all or have no idea what's going on, who are, you know, defenseless, if you will, they can seem like they're strong and powerful. So they can be, a, you know, they, they, can, they can be a big fish in a very small pond. You know, if they were to get over in the pond playing with those people evolving to the positive side, well, they would just be a small fish over there. They wouldn't be so, so big or so scary. They'd be pretty inconsequential. But within the negative group, they can be, you know, a big fish in a, in a little pond. And with people who are easy to frighten, because people understand that there is this evil eye thing that can get them, and there is, you know, um, what's it called out in, in the, um, I don't know, the word escapes me now, the things that they do, voodoo, you know, and, and that kind of thing. You know, it's a similar sort of thing. It's just negative intent. There's lots of names for it, and every culture kind of has some of their own names for it. Evil eyes, just one, you know, metaphor for the same thing, but it's just negative intent is what they're talking about. So some people can get moderately powerful with it, even though they have a fairly low quality of consciousness. If the people that they are, um, the people who are their victims, if you say, if those people have very little understanding and very little focus and very little ability, then it can seem like these bad people have a lot of power. So that's kind of the, you know, the, the lay of the land. So all of that does, does happen and it can affect things. Um, I would say that probably 75% of it is the fear and the negativity that it instills in the person themselves. And that one of the reasons that you and your father are immune to it is because you don't really buy into it. It's eh, okay, maybe, but it's not something that worries you. It's not something you pay any attention to. It's just something that some people believe in, whatever. But as far as you're concerned, it's not that you think it's wrong or, or that, you know, your mom doesn't know what she's talking about. It's just that it doesn't, it doesn't really affect you. You don't worry about it. It's not something that concerns you. And because of that, that makes you sort of immune to it. You see, because you don't have any fear of it. Now, when a, when a voodoo person or an evil eye person wants to manipulate someone else, the first thing they do is try to frighten them. You know, that's the reason that the voodoo person sends you a little doll, you know, with a pin in it or something, just to scare you. That's the whole point, because if they can get you to be frightened, then they are going to be much more successful at manipulating you. So the first thing is a, usually a big bluff, a big, uh, you know, ranting of curses and what they're going to do to you and all of your children that will be born from evermore. And, you know, so they go through all of this, this histronics and drama just to frighten other people. And, and, you know, you better watch out, you know, I can hurt you if I want to, you know, evil eye, evil eye, you know, it's, it's all part of the, it's all part of the scare the person, frighten them, make them afraid because now you have a handle on them. And the connection that you have makes it much easier to 
manipulate them to modify their future probability. Just like the positive, the positive example of that is when the doctor has really good bedside manner and he really spends time with you and he tells you that you're going to be all right and this is going to work out. And he's had other people like this and they all got better. And, you know, he gives you a little positive pep talk and you walk out feeling a lot better. And indeed, that will help you get a lot better. You know, it will make you it will make you healthier just because he has good bedside manner. And the doctors that don't have good bedside manner, they just treat each patient like, you know, a piece of meat on a conveyor belt, you know, and they, they don't really take time with them. They just are very brusque and very sharp and so on. They're not as successful. They're not as good doctors. Their, their patients don't get well as, as easily or as readily. So it's the same. See, that's the, that's the same thing working in a positive, working in the positive side. So. It can work both ways. So let's see. Um, so your mom's right. These things can happen and it can bother her. And because she knows that and because she she uh, feels some threatened by it, she feels like it is disturbing her life, which causes her fear because now these people are getting into her, her space and, and doing things, which then causes her more fear, which then causes a bigger problem. Um, that's certainly part of it. And probably, like I say, probably the 75% of it is that. But there's still maybe a little bit of the other part. But see, now let's say you're a very positive person. So you just feel that life is good and everything's going to work fine. And if I didn't get that job, well, it's probably a good thing because it probably would have been a, a bad job anyway. I'm going to get something much better. You know, you always have a positive attitude. Now you're changing your probabilities to be positive for things to work out well for you. And if somebody else is trying to make them negative, you'll probably overwhelm their negative with your positive because you have more influence over yourself than they do. You see? So that's why being positive and not being fearful makes you pretty much immune to those kinds of things where they just not going to bother you. You're pouring positive stuff into your probable future, and that is more more powerful than what most people who practice negative things are going to make negative. So you can overwhelm what they're doing just with your own positiveness without even a whole lot of trouble. And the fact that you don't have any fear means it's very hard for that other person to really manipulate you. It's like their energy just doesn't stick. It, it slides right off. So that's, that's, what's, that's what's going on. So it is, a, it is a real thing, and they can hurt other people. But it's a, it's a, mostly it's a cooperative effort between the victim and the perpetrator. And it's very difficult to deal with because if you go tell your mother, Mom, all you have to do is just not have any fear about it, that's not going to help. She's not going to be able to do that. She is who she is, and you see, so it makes it difficult. So the best thing you can do is tell her to be very positive and that that will counteract it. If she's very positive about things, that will push that negativity away. And she found somebody that can help her with it. Well, part of that is probably a good bedside manner. The other person convinced him, of course I can do that. Yes, I can fix you right up with that which gave her a positive attitude toward it happening. And that person probably did go in and give her some positive energy, some feel-good stuff, saw you know, some dark energy here and there that was around her, which was her fear, clean that kind of stuff up and get rid of it, you know, build the, build the, uh, you know, the protective balloon or protective wall around your mom. You know, so there's things that you can do, which then sets that person's intent, basically making her, future probability positive. So now you have your mother who has fear, so that helps her intent be a little negative. The person who's bothering her, the person with the evil eye, they have their negative intent. Your mother has some fear. Those two are working together, but now you got a third person comes in with positive intent. Get rid of that fear. Get rid of that bad stuff. Sure, I, I saw all that stuff. I got rid of it. You shouldn't have a problem anymore. Okay? 
positive stuff, positive things. Plus, he's adding his positiveness to counter the negativeness. So, yes, other people can help and do things and do things about it. So your mom and your grandma know what they're talking about. It's just unfortunate that they also have some fear around it, which probably comes out of their culture. And it's, you got to live with that. That's just the way it is. You, you can't go in with a big eraser and erase somebody's fear for them. It just doesn't work. All right. Thank you very much. That clarifies this a lot for me. All right. Lawrence, please go ahead with your question. All right. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Just fine. Um, I'm probably one of your biggest fans. I've probably watched over the past 10 years every <laughs> single video you've ever made on YouTube, and it's uh, helped me greatly in uh, expanding my oh. consciousness. And I'm oh. very grateful for that. I just that's, a lot of, that's a lot of videos, Lawrence. I watch, I watch your videos probably every day. <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah. Great. Um, all right. So my first question, I had a question uh, was... Um, when we go into deep sleep, our consciousness goes unconscious, where we don't have any conscious experience during this time. Um, where do we go during times of unconscious? So, basi so basically, it seems as though our consciousness can also go unconscious, and we don't have any experience, although, you know, we wake it's, back up. Okay, it's not that you're, you know, it's not that you, something happens to your consciousness. It's just that sometimes you are not receiving a data stream. Or if you are receiving a data stream, you're ignoring it. You're, you're not uh, you know, accepting the data, which means your consciousness is unconscious. You're just not accepting data on the data stream. Now, when you go to sleep, you go from being conscious to being unconscious. But some of this unconscious is different than other parts of this unconscious. Some of this unconscious is, is REM sleep, rapid eye movement, REM, in which you're dreaming. So when you have dreaming, when you're dreaming, then you are getting a data stream, and you're making choices, and you're processing, and you're doing whatever you're doing in that dream. And it's very much like being in this reality, except you're in a dream reality, different reality frame, so the rules are different. So that's still being conscious just someplace else. So you're still getting that data stream. But then there's parts of your sleep that they call deep sleep or delta sleep. That's when your, your delta wave down around two hertz is the dominant EEG uh, output that you have. And that's when you're just not aware of anything. You're just gone. And that is just your consciousness processing nothing. Your free will awareness unit is just not processing any data. And if it is processing data, it's not telling you about it. <laughs> you know, it's processing data offline. You know, it's, it doesn't have you know, its awareness plugged into it because that happens to us too. You know, we can have things going on without us in our consciousness, without us necessarily being aware of it. All of our consciousness is not you know, it's not up front where we can see it. In Freudian terms, you know, we have we have subconscious. We have things go on beneath our conscious level. So we have actions, we have things that are happening, we have processes that are taking place, and our conscious mind has no idea that anything's going on at all. So there can be some of that going on also, where your consciousness isn't really not processing anything, but it's just not sharing it with you. It's not sharing it with your awake, with your awake state. But you can program, you can program things in in your mind that will, you know, like you could, I'm sure, if you wanted, program uh, getting up at a certain time. You know, if if you're in a situation where you need to get up at six o'clock in the morning, and you usually don't get up that early, but this day you need to get up at six, but you don't have an alarm of any sort. You can just program your mind. And if you tell yourself with very strong intent, I will wake up at 6 o'clock. I need to wake up at 6 o'clock. And if you say that enough times that it sets a program, 6 o'clock comes and bingo, your eyes just pop open. You weren't thinking. You were totally unconscious. But there was a part of you that was still processing. 
It just wasn't sharing with you that it was processing. So that's, you know, that's a way that you can kind of get a sense of that, that processing that's going on beneath your, your everyday awareness. So it's not like your conscious goes away. Your conscious is still there. It just uh, takes a break. And things it does do, it doesn't share. You, you stop processing information. Oh, okay. and, and why does and why does it do that? Because the avatar needs it. The avatar needs some downtime. Oh, I see. It just seems to me that, like, if let's say you, you go into deep sleep, and um, you know the brain shuts off and and goes into deep sleep, it seems as though that my consciousness would experience itself, or like I would still be some aware to some degree, like I'll be experiencing some other data stream or. But I guess that I can experience my own self without a data stream. Yeah, you could. You could experience your own self. That'd be you're creating your own data stream. You could do that, but it's most likely that you wouldn't share that with your awareness. Your your system, your avatar needs some downtime. It's just part of the way the avatar works. It needs some downtime. So you, as consciousness logged on, you you give your avatar that that downtime that it that it needs. And if you process, you say it's it's in the subconscious. You do it, you do it on your own. You know, the the times that I am out where I don't have an avatar, you know, out of body and other things. There's, you know, the, the it, it's it's such that you're always plugged in. Sometimes I don't sleep. Sometimes I go through a whole night and I never sleep at all. My mind is always processing, always doing something. And it's not that I'm having uh, trouble sleeping. I'm not rolling around. I'm not twisting and turning. I'm not thinking of thoughts. You know, it's not like my mind is trapped in some kind of loop or something. I'm just lying there being aware in other spaces. And I can do that all night long. And most of it's not in this reality. It's in other reality frames. And when I get up in the morning, I'm still rested. Now, it's it's a little different than when I have a really deep sleep, but I'm still rested, go through the day, I don't feel tired, you know, it doesn't bother me. So the fact that the mind can work 24-7 is not that unusual. It can, but there's no need to, unless you are you know, you know, the reason I do it is because I have things to do, you know, the reality frames. And, uh, you know, I have enough things to do that uh, that I work all night, you might say, while my body rests. But if you don't have anything to do, then why process? Best just to take a break. Taking a break has also a very good, uh, one good effect. And that is if you are, if your mind is engaged in something, Sometimes it can get itself wrapped around the axle, as they say. It can get so twisted up in its own thoughts, in its own processes. It's trying to figure something out, and it doesn't have enough information. It just keeps grinding and grinding on it. And at that point, you will get farther quicker if you just shut down for a while, start up fresh later on, because it clears out all the cobwebs and all that mess and all that ball of string where everything's wadded up, and you get to see it new. So that's one of the things that we need the kind of a reset for. We start the next day kind of after having pushed the reset button and everything that we engage in, now we start new with that, with that, with that day. And it, it, we don't get as trapped as we would get if we didn't take that break. So the break is, the break is, is really good I shouldn't say necessary. You can get by without it, as I explained. I do sometimes, but it's it's good for an avatar to to reset and let his his mind stop working for a while. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. These other questions for other people. I have other questions, but I'll just wait. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. We have a few people listening in on audio, Tom, and one of those is Sasha. So, Sasha, if you want to go ahead and ask your question. Yes, thank you. Um, So, 
So here's my question. Basically, um, uh, sometimes I have lucid dreams and they're wonderful. And uh, recently I overcame a, a fear test. But there's this other fear test that it seems I am not overcoming in the dream state. And I think it also is an abstract parallel example of, um, you know, like a challenge also in my waking life when it comes to meditation mm -hmm. and all that. So the fear test is being, mm -hmm. I just find myself in the dream being stuck in a high place and I'm too afraid to come down because it's just so high. It's so high up. Um, and then I wake up and, and, um, and it's too bad because I know it's just one split second, you know, to a lucid dream. But anyway, that's what's going on in the dream state. But then in my waking state, in my meditation and so on, and even when I do remote viewing, for example, I end up, um, I, I just end up feeling like I have more of a download that I can process, more things than I can understand or that I can put words to, or even with remote viewing, I get images that I can't, that I can see, but I just can't sketch um or concepts that i don't have words for and i do feel sort of stuck so so to speak quote unquote stuck in that you know place where i i can't move forward because i'm not a you know i'm just there's i'm not understanding like i need a hardware upgrade so to speak <laughs> um so anyway that's that's where i am and and i'm hoping to get some insight from you okay there may be several reasons why you uh, you get images, you get things, and you know they're meaningful, and you know it's important, but you can't quite grasp it. It just seems to stay just beyond your your grasp for 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 really understanding it and knowing it. Okay, that that happens for several reasons. One reason is that. There's fear there blocking that grasping. There's something about grasping that that's going to require courage on your part, dealing with something that generally you don't want to deal with. And that makes you shy away from it and, and not grasp it. You deal with it when you're not really aware, when your local awareness is not operating on it. And it's kind of in there. That's why you know it's important and you know it's significant because you are operating on it without being aware of it. But when you try to bring it into your awareness, it slips It slips out of your hands like, like water because it's difficult. It's hard. It's a, it's a, a scary thing. It's something that um, it's just, you know, it's going to take courage to do. So that's one, that can be one of the reasons why you have, have problems putting it together. The other thing is, is that you, you tend to get your information metaphorically. And sometimes that's a problem. Sometimes the metaphors are hard to work with. You know, I mean, metaphors can be pretty abstract. And that takes just time to get over that part. You just have to think about it and spend some time. Well, how do I feel about it? Not what does it mean, but how do I feel about it? And try to work in a feeling space rather than in an intellectual space with it. So try to do that. Say, well, now, how does it feel? Does it feel scary? Does it feel good? Does it feel bad? Does it feel hopeful? You know, does it feel treacherous? You know, what do I feel about it? And just try to work through the feeling side of it as opposed to the, to the, what does it mean? You know, what does, what was the, what was, what was that that just went on? You know, what happened there? It's better to feel it because you will come away with feelings. And usually your feelings are a lot richer than the intellectual side because the intellectual side wants stuff. It wants pictures. It wants, you know, arrangements, relationships. And those are harder to come by than the feelings. So that's the second thing is work, work with it in the feeling space. Have courage to get through it in, uh, you know, whatever it is. Say, I'm going to 
next time that happens, I'm just going to reach out and grab hold of it and embrace it. Whatever it is, I'm just going to embrace it. And if it feels a little scary, I'm not so sure I want to embrace that. You know, if it feels that way, well, you're just going to embrace it anyway and see what happens. That's the courage. Because that feeling about, I'm not so sure I want to embrace that, is the, that's the fear that, that uh, keeps you from really seeing where you're going. So getting stuck like that is very, very common. Most people get stuck like that for some period of time. But the good news is that most people get through it also in some period of time. I can remember times feeling stuck, like, you know, nothing new has happened. I didn't feel like I'd really learned much new for a long time. It's just the same, like the same stuff just keeps going around. And and, uh, I didn't feel like I was really getting anywhere. I felt like that every once in a while. And I think everybody feels that they're stuck sometimes. Matter most people probably feel that they're stuck most of the time. It's probably a very common thing for people to feel. So don't feel bad about it. You see, the problem is that if you feel stuck and then you feel bad about yourself because I'm stuck, I just can't get anywhere. You know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I see this? And you start coming up with negatives pointed at yourself. You're not doing something right. You know, you're not approaching something right. And if you if you blame yourself for it, then that will just make it worse. And as as it gets worse, you know, making it worse, again, makes it even more worse, which makes it more worse. And it just keeps kind of spiraling down to you, to your almost, uh, you know, don't want to bother anymore because it's it's, uh, fruitless. Doesn't seem to have any, any, uh, it doesn't have any good outcomes. So, let it be, say, okay, I'm a little stuck now, or I've been a little stuck for the last six months or the last year. That's okay. I'll do some things different. Don't just keep doing everything that you're doing. If you just keep doing everything that you're doing, you'll probably end up in just the same place that you are. So you need to do some things differently. As you do things differently, that will give you permission to get over being stuck. That can make break you loose. So what could you do differently? You might, uh, well, you might decide just to embrace whatever it is, even if it feels a little scary, that would be different. Or you might uh, take a break and say, well, I'm just not going to push on this. I'm going to take a break for the next month. I'm not going to meditate at all. I'm going to get involved in other kinds of things, and then I'll come back to it. Or you might say, well, I'm going to... Uh, make my meditations focus on this particular problem, and I'm going to try to inquire. You know, tell me in some other way. I'm not getting it. I'm not understanding system. You know, tell me some other way. Give me another metaphor that, that I will be able to, to put together and understand. And you can even ask questions. Well, does it have anything to do with this? Does it have anything to do with that? In other words, just take different approaches. Don't just do the same thing or you'll always get the same result. Take different approaches because just because it's different, that allows in your mind a different response because you've done something different, which opens your mind a bit instead of the, yeah, okay, the same thing. I'll do this and that's what I'll get and I won't get anywhere. And you, you kind of get in that, that negative rut of non-success and you can get stuck in that rut. And doing something different will often just kick you out of that rut. So those are some of the things that you can you can do to get unstuck. And by all means, don't feel negative towards yourself. Getting stuck is part of the process. It's part of what we go through. Thank you very much, Tom. Very helpful. Thank you. Okay, Armand, please go ahead with your question. Hi, all. Hi, Tom. Uh, Mm -hmm. My question is about out-of-body and binaural beats as a tool. Uh, Those situations when I can get out-of-body is often uh, randomly when I get the sensation that the shift is 
probably open for me to make uh, to mm -hmm. switch data streams and I just take the, take the opportunity and it works when I listen to binaural beats I uh, get very relaxed and when the beats are in three to four hertz I uh, have my mind clear and can get information and some pictures and 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 sensations but it, it's like uh, i can go further than that and, and more deep experience and get um, repetitive uh, sounds like loops uh, high pitched are not in the audio uh, file uh, so i'm just wondering if these these sounds perhaps are hindering me uh, to uh, switch to that data stream or I don't know what the sounds can be They're like um, high-pitched uh, sounds that come and go in, in intervals and I don't know what it is or if you can expand on, on this uh, sounds, like, sounds like you're also a little bit stuck I think yes. most, like I say, I think most people feel sort of stuck most of the time. You know, when I said that that's common, I, sh I should have said that that's the way everybody feels almost all the time is stuck when they go through these processes. That's just kind of the way it is. That's because things that are intuitive in the intuitive space, things seem to be either they work wonderfully, they work entirely or they don't work very well at all. You know, they're very problematical. You don't have this this very broad range of, well, they, they work sort of, they work a little bit more, and the next week it's working a little bit more. Typically it either works or doesn't. That's the nature of the intuitive space because you either relax and open into it or you have trouble doing that. And if you can do that, then everything works well. And if you can't do that, you know, it, you feel stuck. So. Getting unstuck, as you just, you know, as I just talked about, is often just a matter of keeping on, keeping on. You know, you do something different, but you keep on working. So now what would you do? So you, you go trying to get out of body, you get pictures, you get sounds, stuff sort of happens, but it's all kind of irrelevant stuff. It's, it's not, yeah. it's not what you're looking for. You know, it's, it's yeah, exactly. sounds and things. So that's the problem is it's not what you want to have happen. Well, part of that is you have an expectation. You kind of have this sense of what the outer body is going to be like, and you're going to become aware that you're up in the air and oh, there's your body lying down on the bed. And you've got this expert, this idea of what the outer body is going to be like and, and the experience that you're going to have. And you want to have that experience. Well, just those expectations are going to get in the way because that expectation comes out of your intellect. That's what you're thinking. It's what you've read. It's what you've processed. It's the experience you want to have because that's the real out-of-body experience. And just listening to these noises and the whooshes and the sounds and all the rest of it, you know, that's just nowhere. That's not all that interesting. So you are judging. You're judging the quality of what you're doing. You're judging, uh, you know, your ability to to do it. Your your mind is stuck in intellectual space because of your attachment to a particular outcome, your expectation. And it's your mind being stuck in intellectual space is what is getting in your way. So a thing to start doing that's different is just to pay attention to those sounds and things instead of f fluffing them off as nonsense, embrace the sounds. Say, all right, if that's what I hear and I hear a whoosh or I hear a noise or I hear tones and they go up and they go down, well, let me just go with that for a while. Just be with it. See where it takes me. I'll go up and down with the tones. I'll be the tone. I'll see what it's like to be a tone. You know, I'll uh, I'll just relax and let go and, and let it be however it is. But uh, I'm not just going to be a voyeur sitting here experiencing it like I'm watching TV. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to be it. I'm going to engage it. If you do that, that will probably change everything. You just embrace it. Don't have any expectations. Don't think, 
well, I really want to get out of body tonight, and I hope I get out this time. You know, you come with an expectation, with a need. And those needs and expectations get in the way. Just say, all right, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do the way I do when I'm practicing out of body. And I'm just going to pay attention to whatever happens. And I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to go to it. I'm going to be it. I'm going to become one with it. And if it loud, it gets louder and louder, well, let's see how loud it goes. Or you might, you know, you could play with it in the sense, well, now I'll make it louder, now I'll make it softer. But that's also intellectual. That's you exerting your will on it. You don't really want to exert your will on it. You want to just experience it from a in a personal way, not from a observer someplace else, you know, not as a voyeur, but in a personal way. You want to experience it. And just go with it. See where it takes you. And the first time you try that, it might not take you anywhere, you know, but uh, do it again and again. Do that for a couple of weeks where you just embrace whatever comes. And I suspect that that will turn everything around and will change things fairly dramatically for you. I will try that because randomly it, it happens and I get out of body uh, when I get this uh, I have a body, body memory like now's the time to go and I can go but it's randomly when I try to do it with intent it's very difficult yeah. but I will, I will try this yeah. what makes it difficult is the fact that you are trying so you have to do it without trying that's what I'm getting at when I say just engage whatever happens you allow things to happen It's not you doing something that will make you go out of body. Is that you're allowing the out of body thing to happen to you because you're just being open and you're just there. You're not trying to do anything. So it's you have to allow it. You can't chase it. You can't corner it and then grab it and make it yours. You know, you you have to just it's it's you letting go and being open is what causes it. And sometimes that's easy for you because you're tired and you know, you're you're about ready to fall asleep and it's easy to just let it go and when you do it happens. You see, but when you try to make it, force it to let go and force it, it doesn't work. You can't force it. You can't push it. You can't chase it. You have to just put yourself in the space of letting it happen. And that's with you being disconnected from the physical and not connected to anything else and just open. And your mind is active because you're you're learning how to be a tone and you're just flowing with the wind that's blowing and you're going up and down, you know, with the with the noise or the pictures. You're you're just you know going with them. You're becoming a picture, flying around like the other pictures. And as you just let your mind be it and experience it, then that will put you in the right state and you will find yourself out of body. But if you start it and say, oh, I'm going to do this because then I'll find myself out of body, you've just ruined it because now you've made it into a process. And I'm trying to avoid you actually doing anything. It's not that you're going to do this process to succeed. It's that what you're going to do to succeed is do nothing. (laughs) Just engage. That's what you're going to do to succeed. You're not going to work a new process. That'll just get you right back in the same boat. You need to just open, be available, but be engaged with whatever's around. So you can be open and not engage anything, and then usually you just float there. And it's nice, it's pleasant, you just float there. But once you start opening yourself to engagement, then... That's the space you need to be in to have that out of body. Okay, thank you, Tom. That was uh, very helpful. All right, Tom, we have someone listening in on audio who submitted a question and has asked me to read it for him. Um, This is from Mario. When I meditate, I sit and try to focus on my breath. I succeed in doing that for brief amounts of time. And for the rest of the time, I find myself observing a series of thoughts, feelings, and impressions that seem to flow through my mind. Being in meditation reminds me to observe these thoughts in a detached way and let them go and go back to concentrating on my breath. 
It strikes me at times that observing the stream of thoughts of my mind is rather like being in a dreamscape in which images and thoughts present themselves and then vaporize. When I'm in that state, it's rather like the experience of dreaming. This leads me to wonder what the source is of all these thoughts. If I'm observing them, then where are they coming from? I don't see this as a question of free will because I feel that my free will comes from a deeper place without words. It's me applying my intent to a certain goal or activity. But I do wonder what the source of my thoughts is since they are since they seem to be presenting themselves and dissolving away almost like when watching a film are they like a sort of debris floating around in my consciousness okay well probably what is happening there and there could be multiple reasons why you have this experience but one strong possibility is that you aren't very comfortable with doing nothing. Some people have to be uh, engaged in doing something. And to just sit and do nothing may be a problem, maybe something that's hard for you to do. And when that happens, then you can fill that space up with just, I don't know, mental mental junk, I guess, you know, like like uh, stuff that isn't in itself very significant to you. But, yeah, okay, you can see that, and it dissipates, and you see something else, and these thoughts go by. It's sort of like some people, you know, will turn on a TV or a radio and just let it play, let it just go on and blather in the background. They're not really listening to it, but they feel more comfortable with it playing than they do with it off because when it's off, it's quiet. And when it's quiet, you might think about something significant. But if you have that that stuff going on, if you've got a busy background going on, well, then it kind of prevents that. It keeps you floating above the serious. It keeps you floating above the stuff that uh, you really don't want to get into. So it could be that you 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 don't like the quiet so much and you're creating a filler, probably just out of your own mind in bits and pieces. And we can do that. You're, you're, you're a piece of consciousness. You can generate things. You can make information. And it doesn't have to mean much. It can just be little bits and pieces of anything. You can throw them together, and it just seems like it's can totally divorce from you. You're not trying to do it. It just happens. It just Stuff just pops in your mind. So it's a constant stream of distractions that keep you from just being quiet, keep you from just existing as a point of consciousness. So I would say just when they happen, you know, you have you can give notice to it. Oh, yes, one of those things again. And just put it aside. The point of your conscious, the point of your meditation is to be in a state where you have no thoughts. No images, nothing going on in your mind. It's blank and empty. It's only aware that it is, that it exists. It's not aware of other things. And just practice that, and those images will come less often and stay for a shorter period of time as you practice that. But I would say that's the that would be a key thing for you to learn. And that's called lowering the noise of your mind and all these images and you may get noises and pictures and other things that just kind of float through there seem like they come from someplace else. You know, this, you kind of feel like they're nothing that you're making. Well, you're not making them on purpose. It's just kind of random stuff that, uh, that you create. And you need to get rid of that noise. That's considered mental noise. And it's just a difficult thing to do at first in meditation. That's usually the big, the biggest problem new meditators have is that their minds are very noisy. It's a typical state of someone's mind is that they're noisy. Some people actually like that noise. They're used to that noise. 
for the same reason, like I say, they'll turn a TV on in another room and just let it, you know, let it go on, even though they're not watching it because silence disturbs them. Silence is too deep, might have meaning in it, whereas noise and jabber doesn't have any meaning in it, and it's safer, more secure. So I don't know that that's your problem. It's just a similar sort of thing, so I, I mentioned it here. But just have an intention for it to go away, and I think you'll find that it slowly will. Those periods of of silence, those periods of emptiness that you have, stretch those out there. They last just a little longer each time. Just a little longer. Don't get upset about it. Don't feel like you're failing. Don't get negative. Just take it very casually and say, well, I'm making up that stuff again. Just set it aside. You know, I'm not interested. Let's just exist. Let's just experience existence, and that's all. I want to be just full of nothing but the experience of my own existence and work on that. So that would be my suggestion, you know, what what to do with it. Is, uh, it is a noise, and it will get in your way. So it's best just to take the time it takes to overcome it and get rid of it and get rid of that noise. Tom Campbell here. I and MBT Events hope you liked this video. We now have well over a thousand hours of free video on this user-friendly, ad-free YouTube channel. Though these videos are free to our viewers, they represent many thousands of hours in production and editing, and many thousands of dollars invested in video and audio equipment, along with the required computers and software to store and process the raw video into finished products. So far, all of this content has been funded directly out of our own pockets. Be assured, we will always continue to do what we can. It's our life, our purpose, a labor of love that we will continue to pursue as best we can. However, those pockets are not as deep as they used to be. Thus, we are now seeking to augment our resources with support from our viewers. If you find something of significant value in our videos, please consider supporting their production through our Patreon account or through a one-time donation. The links are in the description below. Thank you.